Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. It is your favorite podcaster, Mark Cotrera, with your favorite podcast, Making a Cut. Thanks again for joining me for another episode of Sports Sunday. i got a great episode for you, but before we jump off into that, as always, you know where you can find me. My link is going to be on my Facebook, of course, but anywhere that you get your, your podcast, you can find me, especially on Spotify. Uh, if you go to Spotify, you can go and click my, my that little area by my face there that says follow, and it's going to alert you to let you know when my next episodes are up. Uh, you know, of course, like I told you the last time, it is baseball season for me, full-fledged coaching and watching, uh, so it is harder for me to do every week, so just be on the lookout. And, you know, I, I tease here and there that I'm going to put some stuff out in the middle of the week, and... Uh, that may end up happening and I just got to be able to free up some time for that to do that so uh as always you know where to find me like I just said there so let's jump off into it give you a little bit of preview about what we're going to be talking about today uh I am talking a little bit of college baseball SEC baseball uh the big props to uh college softball right now because they're in the regionals fixing to go to the super regionals I'm not going to hit on a lot of that actually that's about all I'm going to hit on it but uh college baseball SEC baseball of course College football, some news that came up this week. Talk about that uh, with the conferences, etc. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about the NFL today, too. Uh, you know, I always am. Uh, and I'm going to talk quarterback contracts, but not quite like what you've been hearing on the news for the longest Lamar, etc., and contract disputes, etc. I'm going to do some in depth, detailed teaching for you here for you so that you can know and ask you some questions on it as well. And then I'm also, you know, my take on the Hall of Fame and what it's become. Uh, you know, you know, I don't agree with the whole thing, a whole lot that uh, Deion Sanders says as of late, but I do agree with him with the Hall of Fame, and I'll give you another spin of another reason why uh, I don't like the way it's going. The reason why I do agree with Deion on that as well. So let's jump off into the first subject there that I was talking about in college baseball, SEC baseball. Um, as you as you know, uh, LSU lost the their first series against Auburn, and then they lost another series to Mississippi State. I, I was almost going to record last week, and but I was watching and listening. I'm, I'm sorry, I was listening to the end of that game, and it just upset me enough to where I didn't against Mississippi State because at the point Mississippi State was the uh, really at the bottom of the barrel in the SEC West, and so. Uh, you, you know, that was a frustrating loss, but it, it really did expose a lot for LSU. And I'm wondering, is there trouble in paradise? And what I mean on, on, on our end where we're viewing, we could see the parts where uh, the pitching staff is not not what it needs to be. And, uh, it, you know, maybe the coaches can get in there, get something in their psyche to help them out. Because outside of schemes, you know, schemes is pretty much a sure thing. But if he ever has an off day, then you might be, you might be screwed. So... Uh, getting ready to go into the SEC tournament uh, coming up this week, I believe it is. I'm pretty sure it's going to be this week because they just finished their, their final series off, and, and I'll go through that as well in just a moment. Uh, but when you look at it, you got Skeens, you got uh, now this guy, this, the two the second day started. I think it's Floyd. My, my mind's going blank because I got so many other things that I want to talk about. Uh, he, you need him to be dominant, more dominant than what he is, but then you really don't have a third day starter. Uh, and I understand injuries at the beginning of the season is really uh, a telltale on that. But really the telltale on LSU baseball, you kept feeling like, man, I hope the pressure doesn't get to them with that number one overall ranking before the season starts and then number one overall ranking for the majority of the season. 
and then you, you, you hope for a team to be able to go through their low areas earlier in the season so they could figure it out. And you hope they could figure it out uh, going into the SEC tournament, uh, into the Super Regional, or Regional and Super Regionals if they make it that far. Uh, but they really have some stuff that they got to work on, and the coaching staff's got to be able to do it, whether the coaches need to be able to leave starters out there longer or really develop, take time to develop the, the, the bullpen. Because let's be honest, if you watched it, the bullpen has been the weak spot for this star-studded team. And, uh, and, and, and I'm not trying to stir the pot, and there's nothing being spoken about it whatsoever. But when you look at it, you look at the team of LSU and you look at all these superstars that are on the team. you got Dylan Cruz. Uh, Trey Morgan, uh, Tommy White, you name it. And then you uh, also you have a ton of guys that uh, would be starters in almost every other SEC team that are taking a back seat for other guys. I mean, uh, Joe Bear uh, really has taken a back seat for Tommy White to come in this year. Uh, you, you know, you got other guys all over the field. So you got a, a ton of superstars. And I'll give Jay Johnson a lot of credit there. Uh, because to be able to keep all these guys happy has been huge, but it seems like there's a possibility. Like I said, I'm, I don't, I'm not hearing anything, but it's just me on the outside looking in. It seems like we've done so much to be able to keep those guys uh, happy that we're maybe missing out on opportunities to really develop the bullpen. Uh, you got some really high-end recruits, guys with a lot of great experience uh, that should be able to come in in the bullpen and really finish games for you and not lose them for you. And unfortunately, that's been the Achilles heel for LSU baseball uh, the last couple of series. Uh, they had an opportunity to take first overall uh, or be in a tie for first overall. I think they actually would have taken first overall if they would have swept the series against Georgia this weekend, but they didn't. They, took, they lost the last game, which also ultimately uh, allowed Georgia to get into the SEC tournament. Uh, they did win the series. Uh, LSU did win the series, won the first two games. Uh, but when you look at that, the, you know, are you feeling as confident now as you were at the beginning of the season? I'm not uh, because Skeens can't pitch every game for you. It's not college softball. It's not like you can have somebody with the, the natural throwing mo- movement of a, a college softball pitcher and pitch every game. Um, Skeens, he can't win it all for you. And, and, and we, they've shown uh, if you go back and look at the, the third game against Mississippi State, doesn't matter how much it, all these superstars hit the ball. You're up 13 to four, and but if you're pitching, I mean, just your bullpen just disappears and throws up grapefruits for them over and over. You end up having situations where you're up 13-4 and losing 14-13. I mean, that, that's a frustrating situation for themselves. So, uh, that that caused them to fall down, as you know, if you watched, uh, if you paid attention to the polls, else you fell from number one. They're all the way down to number five. Uh, and then, of course, in the SEC, uh, they didn't even win the SEC West or the SEC outright. Uh, Arkansas won the West, and Florida won the East, and Florida won it outright. You know how much I can't stay in that. But, you know, LSU did come in third, and they had the opportunity to have either a three-way tie or all-the-way tie. I, I, I'm just going off of what I read and what I, what I watched, so don't quote me on all that. That's all the... The, the experts saying all that stuff. So, But, you know, hopefully they turn it around. Hopefully they have a really good show in, in the SEC tournament. They get things figured out because you're going to be playing against top tier. Uh, I have a feeling that at some point they're going to face off against Florida, which they hadn't played them all season. Um, you know, who, who knows on there. But hopefully they turn it around and then uh, 
do really good in the regional because they need to be able to do that and hope that they get a good draw in the regional. Being at the third, they may that as of right now, I'm not sure that they get a number one uh, seating. Uh, being number five, they're probably going to get a number two seating somewhere. Uh, that, so that's a good. Just be watching out for that when they do the selection. And really, all depends on how they how they perform and how well they do in the SEC tournament. So, moving on to college football now. So if you're paying attention to college football, and you know, I know it's off-season in football, but there's really no off-season in football anymore. Uh, if you were paying attention to it, you you probably come across this like I did. In the ACC, a lot of people are wanting are, are talking about wanting out of the ACC, and you have six or seven teams that are really talking about wanting to leave the ACC. And when you look at them, I mean, there's some big names there: Clemson, Miami, uh, North Carolina, Duke, Virginia, Virginia Tech. That's six teams right there uh, that are looking at bouncing on out of there. Now, I will say this. Part of this is a money grab. And, and, and when you look at some of the stuff there, uh, the ACC is the, the top highest paid conference. Uh, you got SEC and Big Ten are the top two. And then you have uh, ACC is the third highest paid. And, of course, with uh, conference realignments happening already with the Big Ten, bringing in USC and UCLA, uh, uh, the SEC bringing in Texas and Oklahoma, you can see the money sp- money going up more and more. And so this is partially a money grab for the ACC, the, the teams that are there. They want more of the, the revenue share. They want more money to come in. Uh, and the ACC needs to step that up for them if they want to keep the ACC. Uh, so, But the other part about it is if you begin to look at it um, and you see if they moved, give the ACC a little bit of credit here because outside of the SEC, uh, they're the only ones that's really been winning national championships, and you can go all the way back. So outside of that, when you go back, I can't even go, I mean, how many years, but since the college football playoff, just on that, uh, Ohio State has won one, so it's Big Ten has won. And then you have the ACC, uh, has Clemson has one or two, I think two, I can't remember. Uh, and then if you go back a little bit further, Florida State has a championship right before then, so when they beat Auburn. So, I mean, they actually have the most successful conference outside of the SEC since the college football playoff has taken on. Uh, and so, I mean, they have a, a legitimate gripe to be able to get more money than the Big Ten. Uh, and when you – honestly, I took a look at the conferences, and, you know, for the longest time, and, and even right now, there's the, the, the talk that the SEC is the number one conference always, and then number two is big, the Big Ten. But when you really look at the top teams in each one of the divisions there, uh, you can look at the ACC. They're pretty strong right now. Uh, or they're pretty much down because Clemson's down, but Florida State is up there. Uh, North Carolina's doing pretty good. They got a good quarterback situation there. So I mean, you have one, two, three, maybe four teams that are really uh, contenders of some sort, at least partially through the through the season for them. Uh, when you look at the Pac-12, the Pac-12 is actually one as of right now because they're going to be changing. The Pac-12 is actually probably the best conference, second best conference right now. When you look at them, because you have you uh, USC. With uh, Lincoln Riley there, he's, I know they lost to Tulane in the bowl game, but when you look at what they did in the regular season, his first season there, that was huge. Uh, you also have Oregon, who's always a powerhouse there. They're always on the cusp of being in the college football playoff. Then you also have Washington, who's a good team. You have Utah, who is always ranked highly. I mean, they're a really good team. And, and I mean, you got one or two other teams there that are actually good. Then you throw in, uh, you throw in 
Colorado with uh, what the possibility of what Deion Sanders can do. Now, not saying he's really going to do anything, but you, with the opportunity, what he can do there because you know, coming to a team with one loss, I mean, with one win, uh, and really kicking everybody off the team and bringing in a, a ton of great recruits there, uh, there's an opportunity he could do something there. So that's a powerful conference because when you begin to look at the, the Big 12, of course, you have Texas and Oklahoma that are always there, Oklahoma State is a team that always uh, is a pretender. And I say that with uh, with grace. I don't say that to pick on them. But they always get your hopes up. They seem like uh, they're going to take the conference and then they disappear. Baylor does the same thing. And TCU. TCU's been a powerhouse no matter where they, what conference they've been in. Uh, but, it, you know, that you could see why that conference has come down. You bring in a couple other teams there. Uh, and, of course, the Big 12 is going to be losing Texas and Oklahoma. But the Big 10. Of course, you are going to be bringing USC and, and UCLA in, but UCLA is not going to really do anything. Uh, but when you look at them right now, you have Ohio State, you have Michigan, and really Michigan's above Ohio State right now. Then you have Penn State, and is anybody really scared of Penn State? And Look at the SEC. Is anybody in the SEC really scared of Penn State other than maybe Kentucky and Auburn? And I don't think Auburn will be going forward with the coaching staff that they have now and the recruiting that they're going to get going on through there now. So I, I, I don't see it. Uh, and then when you have a huge drop-off, I mean, Wisconsin's not the powerhouse that they were. Uh, Nebraska is nowhere near what they've, – they've not been Nebraska since they moved to the Big Ten. Uh, I mean, Purdue, Northwestern, I mean, what, Rutgers, I mean, really name me somebody else that shows that they should be top to bottom considered to be the second-best conference, even when you bring USC in there. I, I, th- when you bring USC in there, maybe so. But right now, if you actually look at – you can make an action, actual legitimate gripe or – uh, point for the for the Pac-12 to be the second best conference right now. ACC is right there as well. I think the ACC and the Big the Big Ten might be neck and neck, honestly. So anyway, spend too much time on that conference realignment really changes a whole lot. But just get ready, it may be happening. You know, I, we've talked about it before that truthfully, what they want to do instead of doing anything is common sense. Uh, this is just the way the NCAA works for some reason. They don't work with common sense whatsoever or what makes sense in any form or fashion. But they're looking at having two major super conferences, and that's about it, really. Uh, so uh, you, you, you could see it real soon that there won't be a, a power five and a group of five, that they're just changing it all up. Uh, and the, the, what they're going to do with the play, playoff format, it's just going to be ridiculous. I, I know it's going to you know, kind of – make some of us feel good that they finally exchange it to 12 teams, but you've already heard my take on that and what they're going to do and how they're going to mess that up. That's just how they are. Uh, but anyway, that's enough on the conference realignment. Let's jump off into the NFL real quick. Now, I'll jump to the end part there where I was talking about the, the Hall of Fame. And, you know, the one thing that I said at the beginning there is that there's not a whole lot that nowadays that I agree with Deion Sanders about. Uh, he's one of my all-time favorite players, don't get me wrong. Uh, but as of late, when he says a lot of stuff, it's just kind of like, all right, Dion, really? But when he said that, and, and I understand, and if somebody can look at it as he's being boastful and arrogant and egotistical when he said it, but there is a lot of truth to what he said, that uh, there should be a second tier to the Hall of Fame. When you begin to look at people that got into the Hall of Fame, and I can get you, and I can just tell you some people's names, uh, Curtis Martin, you know, Jason Taylor, there's some guys there, and that's not to pick on them. They had great careers, and yes, you know, applaud them for being in the NFL Hall of Fame. But do they really stand out to you? Do either one of those ever stand out to you? Like a Jim Brown, a uh, Barry Sanders, a uh, Ed Reed, 
uh, Deion Sanders or Rod Woodson and Charles, do they do they really stick out to you in any way that they should say they were that dominant, that they were absolutely yeses for the NFL Hall of Fame? I don't believe so. And you can you can give me your argument of why you believe so at any point. You know how to reach me. You can you can instant message me on Facebook. You know, in any way that you figure that you can get in touch with me, you can do it. Or you can instant message me on Facebook. I can tell you how you can get in touch with me personally. It doesn't really matter. Uh, but the name that I was thinking about that made me think about it is uh, Mike Evans. Now, Mike Evans is one of those guys that, uh, you, you know, he's consistently great in a sense. And I don't mean that in a sense that, like, he's absolutely legitimately great. But this is a guy that nine straight seasons has a thousand yards receiving, so he'll have the opportunity because of his stats to be able to get into the Hall of Fame at the end of his career after his career is over with, because of the stats that he's put in. But let me ask you this question: Looking right now, is there any point that you would put Mike Evans as a your top receiver, or even in the top five, and sometimes even the top ten receivers during his career up to this point? You can't. There's so many other receivers that you're going to put up above him, especially in the top five. Now, if you're a fantasy football player, you already know you're not taking him until later on. He's maybe your third, unless you just don't know and you're going by the rankings, etc. But you already know he's he's not. He, I mean, he's not the number one receiver. He's not going to be the one guy. He's not like a Jerry Rice. He doesn't jump off the paper and say, "Oh yeah, I can remember him." There's many times that people forget he's even in the league. But yet he has the stats that will possibly and probably get him in the Hall of Fame. Again. But what has he done to be able to say, other than the stats, that says, hey, he's definitely the top receiver in his time. He should be in the Hall of Fame during that time. I can, I can definitely name a, I can go off a whole list of guys that's been in the league as long as he has. And during that time, after or even before any part during his career, that that really overshine him in a sense of saying, oh, yes, this guy was a guy that absolutely should be in the Hall of Fame. He was absolutely one of the top best receivers in the league during that time. Mike Evans is it. But that's going to be the flawed part of the NFL Hall of Fame is that, you know, did he – I mean, this is – and this is my argument, and this is Deion Sanders' argument too. Did he really set the league on fire? Was he a, a game changer? Was he somebody that was so – uh, incredibly known by people that he had to be in the Hall of Fame. He, it, honestly, he wasn't. He's not a Barry Sanders. He's not a Jerry Rice. He's not even a Marvin Harrison. He's really not. But when you when you look at it, this is the way that the NFL Hall of Fame is going, and it's in some ways problematic. But don't get me wrong. I believe these guys should be celebrated for what they've done. They've all had great careers and great stats. It's just to me, the Hall of Fame is for those that are, that are the best of the best, the absolute best of the best. And they'll go down in history as the best of the best. And some of these guys that are in the Hall of Fame now, and some of them that are going to get in the Hall of Fame, they weren't even the best during their time. They weren't. They absolutely weren't, much less all time. So that's my gripe on that. So the other part that I want to talk to you about uh, that I wanted to talk about was quarterback contracts. And I'll give you some staggering numbers in just a moment. And the reason why I thought about that and the reason why I want to talk about it is because you did just have some contracts that went through. Uh, and, of course, you had forever. They were talking about Lamar Jackson and Lamar Jackson, who's his own uh, agent, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you look at the contract that he got, it was outrageous. And, and listen, good for him. Good for I'm, I'm, I'm good for anybody getting paid. I wish I was getting paid like that, too. But when you begin to look at it and when you begin to break it down, 
You look at some of these teams that are paying for the quarterbacks, and I'll break it down for you. I got the top 20 people here that are highest paid quarterbacks. What made me think about it is on the next cycle of who's going to get paid is Joe Burrow. And I'm going to break it down. I'm going to show you where he's ranked on the top paid quarterbacks, top 20 paid quarterbacks. And the win-loss record. And I'm going to break some things down for you so you understand what I'm talking about and, and, and see how eye-opening it is for me and for you. All right, so let's go through this. And I hope you can follow with me on there because it's a lot of stuff, right? And and, and I'm, I'm a numbers guy a lot of times too. So the top highest-paid quarterback right now in the league is Lamar Jackson at $52 million. Followed right behind Jalen Hurts, who's fifty-one million. You know he had the highest and highest contract ever given to a quarterback. And then, of course, uh, Lamar Jackson got it right after. Aaron Rodgers is actually at, at fifty-point-three million. Russell Wilson at number four, coming at forty-eight and a half million. Kyler Murray at, at is the fifth highest-paid quarterback at forty-six-point-one million. Deshaun Watson is the sixth highest quarterback at forty-six million. Then Patrick Mahomes at seven at forty-five million. Josh Allen at 43 million. And then you have a three-way tie at nine, which is Matt Stafford, Dak Prescott, and uh, Daniel Jones, Danny Dimes. They all get $40 million a year. Then moving on to number 12, unfortunately, Saints fans, you may hate to hear this. Uh, Derek Carr at 37.5 million. At number 13, Kirk Cousins, who got the first ever guaranteed contract uh, for a quarterback, fully guaranteed, uh, 35 million a year. 14, Jared Goff at 33.5 million a year. Ryan Tannehill at 15, 29 and a half million. Geno Smith finally got him a contract, 25 million. Pretty Jimmy G, 24 and a half, uh, 24.3 million. I'm sorry. Trevor Lawrence, and this is where the drop off goes off. Trevor Lawrence at number 18 is 9.2 million. At number 19 is Joe Burrow at 9 million. And at number 20, right behind Joe Burrow is 8.8 million. So when you get when you look at those numbers and you can listen to it again or you can look it up yourself and you look at it and you're like it can kind of be boggling in a sense and uh, and I, I, just to give it some some you know uh, anyway to, to give it some credit here or, or, or dig deeper into it to what I'm going to talk about on there let's look at the win loss records and their uh, their playoff record as well. Lamar Jackson is 45 and 16. With that's a really good uh, regular season record. He's one in three in the playoffs. One in three in the playoffs. He does have an MVP, but he's one in three in the playoffs. 46 and 15 in the regular season. Jalen Hurts has only been in the league for a couple years. He's 26, 18 and one, two and two in the playoffs. And of course, he went through the Super Bowl and lost. Aaron Rodgers. Well, Aaron's been in the league for almost as long as Tom Brady was in the league. So he's got 150 wins, 79 losses, one tie. He's 12 and 10 in the uh, playoffs. One Super Bowl loss, one Super Bowl win. Russell Wilson, 108 wins, 64 losses, one one tie. He's nine and seven in the playoffs, and uh, one Super Bowl win, one Super Bowl loss. Deshaun Watson, 31 and 29. At least he has a winning record in the, in the regular season. He's one and two in the playoffs. Patrick Mahomes, of course, he's an anomaly. Six, 64 and 16 in the regular season, and 11 and 3 in the playoffs with a couple of Super Bowl championships. Uh, Josh Allen, uh, 52 and 25 in the regular season, 4 and 4 in the playoffs, no Super Bowl appearances. Uh, Matthew Stafford, 89 wins, 101 losses, one tie, one Super Bowl appearance and a win. Dak Prescott, 
61 and 36 in the regular season, 2 and 4 in the playoffs. No Super Bowl appearances. Danny Dimes is 21 and 32. 21 wins and 32 losses and one tie and 0 and 1 in the playoffs. Derek Carr is 63 and 79, another losing record with 0 and 1 in the playoffs. Kirk Cousins is 74, 66 and two ties and he's 1 and 3 in the playoffs and his only win is at one against the Saints. Uh, Jared Goff is 54, 45, and 41, 3 and 3 in the playoffs and a Super Bowl loss. Ryan Tannehill is 79 and 66, 2 and 3 in the playoffs. Geno Smith is 28 and 34, and I don't, I didn't get his playoff record because he just had the playoffs this year. I don't, I don't even remember the playoffs this past year. Jimmy G is 53 and 21, 5 and 2 in the playoffs. Trevor Lawrence is 12 and 22, and he's 1 and 1 in the playoffs. Joey B. 24, 17, and 1, and 5 and 2 in the playoffs. 5 and 2 in the playoffs in the Super Bowl loss. And one uh, really questionable game against the Chiefs from being in the playoffs uh, in the Super Bowl two years in a row. So, let me ask this question, and you can ask it as well. And I know that was a lot. You may have to go look it up yourself. But when you look at it, so what is what is getting you paid as a quarterback? And then I know, and, and they talked to Joe, Joe Burrow, and he said, you know, Yes, pay me, but I want to make sure that we have enough money to be able to pay for a team around me. And I completely understand that. But when you look at it, some of these guys of what they're getting paid and what you're paying them for, it almost doesn't make sense. And so let me break it down for you. Lamar Jackson, let's start off at the top. Lamar Jackson uh, has an MVP. He's 1-3 in the, in the playoffs, though. And he's been injured the last three or four years. Hasn't completed a full season. He may not have completed a full season in his entire career. I have to check that out myself. I don't. I don't know. So, does it warrant him to be in the top-paid quarterback in the league? I, myself, personally, I don't think so. Uh, and I'm like I said, I'm not hating on the guy for getting paid. Bless him for being his own uh, agent and getting all that money. But I, you know, you're paying somebody and it's, and they're not giving you the results. So I don't understand it. Jalen Hurts. Got that biggest highest, highest contract for the moment for a couple weeks. Uh, he did just go to the Super Bowl, so that's huge. You know, I can almost agree with that uh, because of his play that short in his career and already in the Super Bowl and has a great chance to be in the Super Bowl again this next year, pending uh, all the coaching staff and all the coaches that they lost. But they have done a great job of rebuilding that team and building on to that team, getting you know making the rich richer, right? Aaron Rodgers, you could probably see why he's paid all that money. Uh, he's going up there to the Jets, and uh, he was due all that money from Green Bay anyway, and he's been the face of the, uh, the franchise since Favre left. And uh, you add that on to, guy's gonna he's going to be a first ballot Hall, Hall of Famer, so you can see that. And he's doing he's still playing at a high level, so I can kind of see that as well. Russell Wilson, Russell's gotten paid off of what he did in the past. And uh, if you look at the last couple years in Seattle, you can see a huge decline. You see what he did last year in Denver. It was just an absolute debacle. So I understand the contract that was already there, but that's one of those ones is hindsight, like, oh, that one bit us in the butt. You're hoping Sean Payton could turn it around for him, but it could also could be the ruin of Sean Payton's uh, career too. So who, who knows? Is it really worth him paying, being the fourth highest paid quarterback in the league? This one here at number five and number six, really. Kyler Murray, I mean, what has Kyler Murray won? He's... It, his, he has a losing record in the uh, in the regular season. He's 0-1 in the playoffs. The only thing he's won is Call of Duty games. He hasn't done anything. 
why is this guy the fifth paid fifth highest paid quarterback in the league doesn't really show why right other than great agents Deshaun Watson 31-29 in the regular season 1-2 in the playoffs he hasn't won anything except for an opportunity to get to play ball so maybe court cases I don't know maybe that's the reason why he's getting paid so much because he can win court cases I, I don't know I don't understand it Patrick Mahomes is very extremely understandable Josh Allen as well Matthew Stafford, Dak Prescott, Danny Dimes doesn't make any sense to me other than they finally got a coaching staff that was there to be able to help this guy out, um, right, to to where he had a finally finally had a decent season. They were like, hey, we don't want to go on the quarterback carousel again. Let's pay this guy. So I can kind of see that he knows the, the you know he, he knows the offense that's going to be coming in next year. So this one has an opportunity to bite him in the butt or make him seem really smart. Derek Carr, so. Y'all have heard me talk about Derek Carr before. Um, Derek Carr was, uh, you know, a foot injury away from being the MVP of the league. Um, and then what he was able to do uh, in Las Vegas the year that John Gruden got fired at the beginning of the season and still bring that team to the playoffs, that was huge. So maybe you can see painting for that, but he's also a guy that hasn't won anything either, so I don't know. Uh, but when you begin to rank him against other people, maybe so. Maybe he adds up. Maybe... Uh, you know, the potential. I don't know. I, I don't see it. Uh, Kirk Cousins, you know, Kirk doesn't win in prime time. The only time he's won in the playoffs is against the Saints, unfortunately. Uh, the fluke of a game, honestly. Jared Goff, at least he's been to the Super Bowl. Right? Right? So, uh, Ryan Tannehill, he's up there. I, and I could see Tannehill having that because, I mean, he's been he's been successful in the league. He's, he's not... You know, he's not a Joe Montana. He's not a Drew Brees. He's not putting up a ton of stats. He does what needs to be done to be able to get there, and he's been the best option for them for that offense. Listen, it couldn't work with Marcus Mariota. It just didn't. And Marcus Mariota um, arguably has better talent than Ryan Tannehill. Ryan Tannehill played receiver, started off playing receiver at college, uh, and then moved over to quarterback. And, and, And he's been a guy that's played decent quarterback throughout his career, whether it was Miami or up in Tennessee. Uh, he's never been to set the world on fire, but really, honestly, he's not much different than Kirk Cousins, who has a much bigger contract than him, fully guaranteed. Uh, Geno Smith turned his career around. Let's see where it goes. Pretty Jimmy G. I mean, it's, you know what you got in Pretty Jimmy G, right? So, and then Zach Wilson being the guy that's the next guy who's paid as much money as Joe Burrow, almost as much as Joe Burrow, and uh, done nothing. So when you look at it. You can understand what I'm saying here. No, I'm not just taking up for Joe Burrow, but when I begin to look at it, do you really believe that from the way that they play football or how they lead a team or how they're the face of the franchise or how how they're actually winning, do you believe that uh, Kyler Murray deserves to get paid more than Joe Burrow? I don't. Do you believe that Deshaun Watson does? I don't. I really don't. Do you believe that uh, Russell Wilson does anymore? I don't. I understand that Russell Wilson is getting paid on the back end because of what he did before, right? But when you look at it, honestly, and, I, and, and I'm not complaining because he's going to get a big contract, and but he's going to be he says he's going to be smart and be able to get it. But when you look at it, how can you justify in so many cases some of these guys to be able to be that highly paid? What I understand potential. But if they're not bringing you the results, I, I, it's it's hard to understand because you should be spreading that money around to put a team around them. 
Uh, I mean, honestly. So when you look at it objectively like that, like I am, like I said, I'm not taking away from anybody. I'm happy these guys are getting paid. Absolutely. I'm happy anytime anybody gets paid. But I'm looking at it like, well, when they start saying it and they start comparing, when it's time to roll out the next set of uh, contracts, because it's going to reset the market, it always does. Just like those last two did with Lamar Jackson and Jalen Hurts, reset the market to where it's going to be even higher. Uh, I mean, can you can you justify that? And, and I mean, you could go all the way back to uh, when Kirk Cousins got his fully guaranteed contract. Was I think it was 84 million fully guaranteed for Minnesota when he first got there. How could you justify that? He's never won anything. He still never won anything with the team that you have. I, I don't understand. And uh, anyway, that that's just my gripe on it. But you can give me your thoughts on it. You can give me your thoughts on anything that I said there, that anything I talked about, whether it's the quarterback contracts, whether it's the uh, conference realignment, whether it's the Hall of Fame, whether it's LSU baseball, any of that. But you can let me know. You can hit me up anytime. I appreciate y'all's follows. I appreciate your listens. Thank you for sharing my podcast so other people can listen to. It means the world to me. And I am taking up too much of your time, so I will let you go. This is your favorite podcast of Mark Atreira with your favorite podcast, Making a Cut. I'll see you next time.